Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, your week in IndyCar listener Q&A episode, third edition of the new year, I do believe, for 2022. I want to say a big thanks to all of you for sending in 54 questions, I believe, according to our pal Jim Kaiser, who puts together everything for me. Big thanks to all of y'all for taking the time to power this show every week. Seems like we have more and more new listeners every week, new names submitting questions. So truly and genuinely appreciate you. As always, a massive thank you to Cooper Tires, those fine people who not only power our podcast, but also the road to Indy, Indy Lights, USF 2000, and in between Indy Pro 2000, all running on Cooper's Tires. Big thanks as well to the Justice Brothers, their automotive chemicals and lubricants. Have used those since I was a wee wee lad at my father's shop. So brake cleaner, just everything imaginable for your automobiles, also in motor racing too. And then finally, torontomotorsports.com. Motor racing memorabilia, manufacturers of fun stuff, stickers, keychains, and fine sellers of t-shirts, models, books, you name it, motor racing memorabilia, torontomotorsports.com going to give one more pre-show shout out and then we're going to jump right in and get going still have to finish the racer mailbag which is another q a uh indycar related thing i i no joke y'all uh <laughs> seems like about half my life these days is answering questions related to indycar and or sports cars i love it no complaints but it's a lot um p-r-u-e d-a-y-r-o-c-k-s at gmail.com prudayrocks at gmail.com for those of you who want to join the listener group in and around the podcast here they do all kinds of stuff chopping up the show chopping me up uh bench racing they look after one another provide support care friendship brotherhood and sisterhood it is a very diverse group of people, both in gender and ethnicity and world viewpoints. Um, truly an amazing group of folks who take good care of each other, but also have a heck of a lot of fun. Most of them are truly hilarious. The members there, more than 100 plus. So if you'd like to join, I'm not a member, nor should I be. It's not for me. Uh, Prudayrocks at gmail.com. And one of the, uh, the cool members there will say hello, welcome you into the group, and you've got a new group of friends. On that same vein, I know that a lot of folks, myself included, uh, struggles lately. Whether it is COVID, whether it is life, whether it is boyfriend, girlfriend, parents, could be money, uh, not having enough of it, just whatever, uh, mental struggles, mental health struggles, need a friend, need a shoulder, just need a laugh. Uh, I get your emails. Most of you ask me to just not mention you by name or just keep things to myself as I do or your direct messages. But I do know that, uh, and I can certainly raise my hand and say, I struggle at least once a day, every day to keep my spirit, my brain, my mind, my heart, my everything going in the right direction. Uh, and so one of the things that I routinely hear 
from members of the Prue Day and listeners in general who aren't members is that, hey, um, let's try and keep ourselves all in the right place if we need someone to offer some support, uh, something positive, share something real, whatever it might be. So on top of the bench racing and everything else, just might recommend if you're struggling at all and could use uh, a new group of friends you didn't know you had, but maybe you've been listening to the show right along with you for however long, give them a whirl, prudayrocks at gmail.com. That's all I got to say, y'all, before we get ripping and rolling into your show here. I also have, no joke, like nine Racer Magazine deliverables uh, for the annual IMSA season preview. (laughs) So I got to get rolling on a lot of stuff here. And so with that said, a little marker for our music bed, my surf rock music bed. And we're going to kick things off here. One of the great surprises, truly a surprise, and I'm not surprised by much these days but this is definitely one aj foyt racing signing tatiana calderon tati tati being signed going to be in that number 11 chevy that will be a full-time effort this season the team continuing to look for an oval driver to round out those four races but you got a lot of questions about her about this about things so that's where we are starting the show And if you are a brand new or newish listener, we tend to have one, maybe two or three main topics that we kick off with, live with, spend a little bit of time on, and then try and rock and roll through the rest of your Q&A. So, Tony, pot of coffee, at pot of coffee on Twitter, says, what would a successful 2022 look like for Tati? Spoke with her, by the way. Uh, today for 10 or 15 minutes for a short form interview our catching up with series i should be posting that here right before right after this goes up so hopefully you'll take a listen to that as well tell you what here tony uh, i cannot think of a rookie driver with a steeper uphill challenge than what young mrs calderon is going to face And that's not a negative in regards to her, her talent, her capabilities. We'll get to some of that here in just a little bit. Just what she's stepping into. So I'm always rooting for the Foyt team, always want them to succeed. This is a tough one. And so why is it tough? They were not sufficiently staffed to run a two-car team at the time of her announcement. They're, of course, looking for and will be hiring more people, trying to find more people, race engineers, mechanics, and just you name it. This is a team that was already light on staffing to begin with. And then if we're talking at the race engineer level, we know that the race engineer, if we're talking... Uh, NFL parlance, that's your head coach, your offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. That's right. You might be the best quarterback in the world, but without the right head coach and, and plays being called, it doesn't matter. They are very light on upper echelon engineering resources to put around both Kyle Kirkwood and Tatiana. So, 
you take that plus not enough staff in general and the fact that she's 40-ish days out from making her IndyCar debut and will have that test from last, what, June, July, August, somewhere in there, one day at Mid-Ohio, and then two days, one of them coming up towards the end of this week, then one in the middle of February at Sebring. All the challenges I just mentioned, plus not a lot of time, plus a minimum amount of testing compared to, say, uh, a warm and ready road to indie driver like her teammate rookie Kyle Kirkwood, who's just again going to almost every single series, uh, sees every track that he's familiar with. It makes it hard, Tony, to feel bullish about her chances with everything that she is going to have to adapt to and some of the shortcomings that are there. So if she has a season where she has limited number of spins and crashes and mistakes and finishes the majority of her laps in those races and practice and qualifying sessions, if she can just log a lot of relatively clean mileage this year, I will give it the that was awesome and something great to build on in the hope that her sponsor, Rocket, will punch her ticket for a second season and hopefully a third. So this is this is something real or serious. So we got some more questions about her that we'll get into in just a moment. JJ Gertler, our minister of uh, of mirth when it is being picked up by our listener and friend Lance Snyder says so the Foyt team is suddenly a three-car outfit with two rookies and a third-year driver what's the season's crash damage bill going to be more seriously where are they getting the people to run a third car it's not like they have an imsa or nascar program to borrow people from yeah so this is where i think the team is going to have to hire folks that are from other series that need to learn IndyCar or maybe even go lower than that. And lower, I don't mean lower as in quality of human being or potential, but just they might even need to do some of the, hey, you're out of a technical college, you're out of a automotive uh, program, which is not totally uncommon. You know, you've gone to Lincoln Tech or similar, and now you're wanting to get into racing and we'll teach everything you need to know. It's just with folks like that of which there are whatever amount already in IndyCar, right? That's where they came in. They've just added multiple years of experience and know the game just means JJ that if that were to be the route, they end up having to go. You're going to have more people than maybe you're accustomed to on an IndyCar team with a sizable amount of knowledge to gain and they'll be gaining it during the season. So, yeah, here's a a text item I have exchanged with a number of people today who have asked or weighed in or looked for whatever insight about this uh, expansion to three cars. There are no rock star race engineers, crew chiefs, lead mechanics, gearbox experts, etc., who are sitting home 
waiting for the phone to ring. It's just not the reality. It is a case of if you have demonstrated talent recently or even a while back and someone might be able to get you up and into their team, it's already been done. So this is the, yeah, you've decided to go to the prom at the last minute and there's not a lot of people that are lacking dates. So what do you do? This is a, to your exact point, JJ, lacking an IMSA or NASCAR program to borrow folks from and kind of get going there while you hire some more. Um, of the things I need to learn about, I would assume that both rocket cars would be run out of Indianapolis, but I don't know. But since the team does split their operations out of Waller, Texas and Indianapolis, finding folks in and around Indy easier you would think than waller texas we're talking experienced folks but one way or the other whether it is raiding the local lincoln tech or usf 2000 indy lights uh indy pro whatever they need a lot of people without a doubt and they don't have a lot of time to find them uh let's go to Daniel Summersgill says, great to see Tatiana has been announced for the road and street courses. Says your racer article indicated it's full season. So who will be doing the Indy 500 and ovals? Says Sebastian Bourdais would be obvious, uh, but do his IMSA and WEC commitments prevent this? I don't think so. So much on the latter part. Uh, Daniel spoke to Seb today for something totally unrelated. Um, I don't know if Seb is penciling himself in uh, for the ovals here got to think about some of those who are are very talented like a ryan hunter ray hinch obviously very good on ovals but he'll be doing a heck of a lot of broadcasting uh, jr hildebrand of course gabby chavez has been mentioned by uh, one person in the racer mailbag don't think there's going to be a lack of names to consider here daniel one other item I need to figure out. I've been trying to connect with Larry Foyt for a week, week and a half now, and I'm it's still struggling there. So uh, hopefully I get some of these items answered. But what I don't know is if Rocket is paying for the full season and the Foyt team needs to go find someone to hire for those ovals or if there is a need for uh, funding for the ovals because rocket has only paid for the road and street courses for Tatiana. I don't know the answer to that. It may already be out there and I just haven't seen it, but if we were to go the, assume the full seasons paid for Foyt team and rocket need to decide on who the driver will be. Here's a weird ish thing to, to consider Daniel. Most drivers, who would be available at this stage of the season, even if it's just, again, this very part-time thing. They know where they sit and live in the market, right? Obviously, they're available, so they know they're available. They don't want to be available, but they know they are. They're having to weigh the, how desperate am I to continue an IndyCar, how good of an opportunity might be whatever things that are being presented to me, do I need the money, 
what's the risk reward value here, right? Am I short on cash and I got to do it? Or uh, I've socked enough away, I, I can be a little bit choosy. These are the kinds of things being contemplated. Because, as I just mentioned with the, who's going to engineer the car? How good is that engineer? How not good? Again, don't know. For all the veterans that I just mentioned, they are going to know who is or is not attached to the car. Or if they're asked, hey, do you want to drive? These are the kind of questions they would throw back immediately because they know. Just because you're offering me an Indy 500 deal at Team X or a couple of oval races over here or whatever it might be, they fully know that without the right, right engineer, right crew chief, a lot of right things, it's a Honda team, Chevy team, doesn't matter. They know that without the right people running it, they are destined for, uh, I guess, a high probability of being bumped at Indy, running poorly on the ovals, things being a little sketchy and or dangerous, you name it. So just be aware that while this might seem like a great thing to offer everybody, um, before some of the higher level, higher caliber, bigger names might consider saying yes, they're going to want to know, what am I stepping into? I'm not blindly saying yes. I hope you find amazing people to run the car, and then I'm going to have to be one of many fighting to get into it. But just the the sake of an offer potentially being made, if, again, we assume it's fully paid for, you know, come on, we're going to hire you to drive. Yeah, it's the other layers that you go, oh, uh, give me confidence that it's worth my while. Uh, Ryan Terpstra says Tatiana Calderon may not have the best equipment, but I'm guessing with Kyle Kirkwood in the series, she's going to have a good benchmark since both are rookies. Is this a story we should follow throughout the year? 100% Ryan. So this is one of the, if not the closest Formula One style benchmarking of talent scenarios I can think of. What do I mean? Well, we know that pick the team, a Red Bull. Hey, Max Verstappen's car, Checo Perez's car. However fast Max goes or Checo goes, uh, we're always looking for the gap. Always trying to figure out, right, how good is one compared to the other. Same with Lewis and what we've had in the past with Valtteri and so on. Look at some of the other teams. You go, okay, again, and they have equal equipment, but we know... Maybe we don't have equal talent, equal whatever among the teammates. Here, I think it's going to be as about as clear as we're going to find in IndyCar. Both rookies, both with not enough time in the cars to really say they're fully confident. Obviously, as I mentioned earlier, Kirkwood's coming off of lots of road to Indy, so he knows all the circuits for the most part um, incredibly well. This should give us the opportunity to really say, okay, this is where Kyle is, and this is where Tatiana happens to be, and it would take a miracle for Tatiana to outperform Kyle. And that's because of everything I just mentioned. Lights champion knows all the tracks. We also know how 
much of a raging badass that kid happens to be. Tatiana, yeah, there's some question marks as to where she sits at talent-wise, aptitude-wise, and that's why this is going to be a great benchmark for us to follow. So a couple things here to speak about uh, on Tatiana from a driving standpoint. I want to mention yet again up front, I am rooting for her like you wouldn't believe. Um, cannot wait for her to get out, get going, get some IndyCar experience built. She has a really unicorn-esque resume in that at 28 years old, she has so much freaking experience it is ridiculous if you listen to the catching up with episode i rattle off some of the names of the series she's been in the kinds of cars she's driven i'll just make it easy she's driven everything (laughs) she has driven everything big difference here though she's driven everything she has not had very many years of consistency to build off of to then develop her talent to its peak so if we think about what has she done most recently well she's done japanese super formula great great series where our reigning champion alex polo did his last bit of open wheel training in what did she have in 2020 and 2021 not consistency not full seasons in both championship she did partial seasons in both if you look through pretty much all of her career that's the story so except for two-ish years in pro mazda slash what we'd call today indy pro 2000 it is almost an annual guaranteed she's going from this series to that series or if she were to stay in a series she'd be moving from one team to the next it'd be a partial season here then a partial season there couple drives in this thing couple drives in that series and while it gives a driver like her the ability to adapt so she's going to learn this indycar pretty quickly Uh, everything she's done career-wise has been adaptation that part's great where it leaves a fair amount of things to be desired though is she would be for example the polar opposite of her teammate kyle kirkwood kyle has been road to indie guy now he's also done some imsa and again little tiny bits of other things elsewhere but this kid has been go-karts up to road to indie and fired straight up the road to Indy like a missile to IndyCar. So if you track his development, it is all funneling upwards towards reaching the top. Same types of cars, same general structure and series of the road to Indy, good, really good to really great teams. Everything about Kyle Kirkwood has been... I would say perfect in his training, development, preparation, and exploration of his talent, which led to him having an amazing championship winning Indy Light season and coming into IndyCar with high expectations. 
flip that around to Tatiana and you'd say, oh my goodness, she's driven everything everywhere, which is awesome. She has learned from a ton of people, worked with a million race engineers, all those things. What she doesn't have is the, and it's all been focused, all been channeled, giving you multiple years, same series, same team, same engineer, same everything so that you are brutally effective and coming into IndyCar at 28, really within one to one and a half percent of your ultimate potential. That's the difference here. That's why I mention if she can finish the majority of the season, majority of the laps, and just bank a lot of good knowledge, that's where I would hope a second year and a third year and more could really be the place where she gets the consistency and talent development that she's been lacking for the vast majority of her junior open wheel career. So kind of weird to think of it in those terms, right? Maybe I got to get to IndyCar before I can find out how good I am compared to most drivers that we see coming in where you go, okay, I don't know if you're a champion or an 8500 winner, but you've given us the indicator we have reasons to hope and believe based on evidence of all you've displayed before you got here. Tatiana's in the role, as I see it, of I don't know what your peak happens to be because I don't feel like we've seen it all the reasons i just mentioned and so if you look at how she performed here how she performed there lots of decent results i think i mentioned in the racer story her top super formula finish was 12th she did that twice does that mean she's terrible no it doesn't it just means it's a lot of work left to be done before any of us could say yep that's what she's got that's all she's got no more uh there's no more to find. Um, so I'm I'm intrigued to see how things do develop for her, but I also, of course, realize that it's going to take us a little while to have a, a really, really good understanding. Okay, where are we going to go here? We're going to go to Andrew Clark. Take a sip of coffee, by the way. I shouldn't. It's uh, 5.22 p.m., but hey. I was happy to see female driver in IndyCar again with uh, my f- uh, with former F2 driver Tatiana Calderon. However, I'm curious, get your thoughts on the W Series, which has put zero female drivers into IMSA, WAC, F1, or F2 for the season. In fact, the only thing that comes from the success in the W Series is the guaranteed spot in next year's, or in the next edition of the W Series, which is not what the rewards should be in a series that claims to be a driver development series. Andrew finishes by saying, feels to me more like a check-the-box activity for the FIA to say they promote female drivers while actually doing nothing. Would love to see the winner get a scholarship for F2, IndyCar, even Indy Lights to propel them forward. I, I hear you, Andrew, I, and I don't totally disagree with the prem- the general premise here. Just add in maybe, maybe a little bit of... of counter or context or something they've just finished their second season so they had the first season COVID hit year off came back had their second season jamie chadwick winner of both 
uh, seasons. So I hear you. I would say if they don't have something like this lined up for the winner of the next season's championship, I will have no argument whatsoever. I think, again, they're still figuring out what they are, who they are, what they're trying to do. Uh, And for a first-year, second-year championship, I'm okay with where they're at. Also note that uh, while we had Tatiana confirmed today, also saw photos and a press release from the W Series with Jamie Chadwick picking up her $500,000 check for winning the championship. Two questions. I don't have answers to them, just putting them out. I don't know how much raw money the W Series is sitting on. If it's something where they do indeed have more, I would love to see, okay, if you win the championship, these are the avenues that we have opened for you to follow, as you mentioned here, a scholarship. If I'm talking an Indy Lights budget, if I'm talking round numbers, a little over a million dollars a year, look, can they get the next champion 750 right? Hey, you still need to find some but at least it's going to get you three quarters of a season to start while you work on more. Um, Some of these championships can cost more than that. So I realize that it might not be super extra feasible, but not knowing the kind of money they're sitting on. I am with you here, Andrew. Look, the fact that Jamie Chadwick has an extra 500 grand in her pocket, that's great. She obviously has been racing in this W Series, also in the Extreme E Championship. She did that the uh, the very first season. But I'm with you. The relationships, the pipelines, I think that's where, if I'm thinking the true value of the W Series, if our my vision or your vision is the correct one, and who's to say that it is, but... I sure would love to hear more of, hey, the the winner gets these things, the runner-up gets these things, and third place gets those things. Uh, Rookie of the year gets stuff as well. What are those things? Is it a test with name, whatever it might be? Is it GP3? Is it F2 teams in Europe? Is it Japanese Super Formula teams? Indy Lights, Indy Pro 2000. If really quality women racers are being developed in the W series. Handing them checks is cool. I'm with you though, Andrew, on the perspective of opportunities. Let's showcase, right? It's the old, yeah, don't tell me what's on the menu. You know, I want to see it. I, I, I need to see this opportunity that's in front of me. Who is this woman who's, who's said to have a lot of talent see uh her and all the other drivers of whatever whether it's different gender different whatever you see all the things in front of me instead of just on a page saying these are possibilities to choose from so i think that might be pretty important as well um you know every year there's the chris griffiths test Uh, we have that at the indie road course where you got a lot of talent spotting going on 
have to hope or believe the possibility of arranging something with Penske Entertainment, uh, Road to Indie Folks, something could be done to make sure that some of the, uh, the, the stronger women competing in the W series are at least seen there, maybe other places. I don't know, but yeah, as long as most of these women are just names for indie car and road to indie team owners to see, but not really know, not get to see these drivers perform in front of them and speak and engage and, you know, all the things that would entice someone to say, yes, come drive my car, uh, whether I'll pay for it or we'll split it or whatever it might be. That There is a bit of want to see it before I commit to it. I don't know if all those connections uh, have been made to the degree that would be as beneficial as we'd hope, Andrew, for the W Series. So maybe that's the next big direction for them. Global outreach. Let, let's come up with a crazy amount of things we can make happen. Because to your point, to close on this, if the W Series is more or less the same women showing up year after year to drive and, and do their best to win um, the big check, but we're not seeing enough of these quality women appear in other championships, that just feels wrong, sad, because we know there's talent. Just, boy... Do we need more uh, more women in other series? Uh, why don't we go to James Counter? Gonna say MP. Hope you and your wife are doing well. Says you're in my prayers. Thanks, man. Seriously, that is that's really awesome. Says, uh, do you think the Foyt signing of Tati Calderon might make the uh, banging on team owners' doors and asking for a drive by women drivers? Uh, do you think this might make that happen more? Might be even louder. Um, okay, I'll, I'll take the second one here from uh, in a in a moment. It's a unique thing here, James, with Rocket and the CEO of Rocket being all in on Tati and saying, "I want to make this happen for you." Did make it happen for her. I would say that there are plenty of women who I hope are you know knocking on the proverbial doors of IndyCar teams, saying, "Hey, give me a shot." unless they are funded or unless they are able to demonstrate that they are wickedly talented and deserve being considered on merit alone. Again, Jamie Chadwick's, Alice Powell's, etc. This is a bit of a, an outlier, James. You have a sponsor bound and determined to do something and they have. Uh, boy, she is very, very fortunate as have been the male drivers. You know, Zach Veach, for example, with Gainbridge. Gainbridge was bound and determined to bring him into IndyCar, and they did. And he got more or less a three-year career out of it without Gainbridge. Love myself some Zach Veach like you wouldn't believe, but he's not an IndyCar driver without Gainbridge. He'll say the same. Some other driver and, and sponsor combos where you go, yep, everything that I have right now is thanks to you, and without you, I would not have them just makes the the other women racers knocking on those doors doesn't necessarily apply to them since this is such a unique scenario you also uh, say a second slightly related question do you think that rocket might try and sponsor more 
female drivers on IndyCar or further afield, uh, if they like what they see in terms of uh, the metrics from sponsoring Calderon. I mean, I'd hope so. I don't pretend to know a lot about Rocket. I've asked, and those who I thought would know said they didn't really know and they weren't sure they wanted to fully ask and get all the way into whatever, to all the things that they do read about there being a lawsuit that rocket is needing to pay back something like or pay something like 36 million dollars to the williams formula one team heard some little rumblings of you know is everything getting handled the way that it should last season in indycar obviously to sign kyle and now sign uh tatiana money needs to be exchanged that's all something that you hope goes forward correctly and as it should so just mention that i love this move but as i shared at the outset came as a bit of a surprise there weren't many who thought it was going to go through and when it did it was like okay cool great um all i want is for this to just work properly and I think if that's where I set the bar of expectation, James, instead of, and we're going to add more women and we're going to do more this and more that, like it feels like this might be kind of sort of the limit of how far things should go before you might start wondering if we're, we're tipping over the edge of our skis here. I've gone skiing like three times in my life, so I don't know why I just use some sort of skiing reference, but Hey, uh, Patrick Wenzel says first time, long time. I love it when y'all send in your very first question. So, uh, we always try and make a point to feature you somewhere towards the top of the show. Patrick says at Patrick Wenzel from the good old Twitters first time, long time says with it looking less and less like Ryan Hunter Ray will have a full-time IndyCar ride. What are his prospects at a Indy 500 only run or maybe an IMSA gig? Uh, spoke briefly with our man today who is with his kids at the go-kart track. They're running him ragged. Would say that Ryan would certainly be on a, a shopping list for a AJ Foyt racing. I uh, know Ricardo Junkos has expressed a desire to run two cars at the 500 provided the second car was a bigger name driver. Um, you know, serious badass. I don't know if he would need money to come with that, but I would say, I know Hunter Ray and Ricardo have spoken. I may or may not have given them each other's contact info. Said, "Hey, you two guys need to talk." Um, I don't know how many other opportunities are really truly sitting out there, though. Patrick, if we're talking Indy Five Hundred. Uh, there's no full-time IndyCar rides left, so uh, twenty-six is what we have for the full season now. But we're talking RHR Five Hundred. Couple, couple things would put him in the category as well of weighing risk reward as you would expect a Indy 500 winner to do. Uh, as for IMSA, I know I've tried to share him, share him. Sure. I don't know what is wrong with me. Share with him some things as I learn about them. Uh, not necessarily things that have become public yet, but Hey, I hear so such and such teams going to be putting something together. You might give them a ring. I do that with a few drivers, by the way, so it's not exclusive to him. Uh, but he's working. I know that for sure. 
there's one longer term thing I have suggested he look into. I don't know if he has, but uh, that might be more of a 2023 and beyond type deal. But also got to keep in mind that at what, 40 years old, 41, whatever it is, you know, definitely twilight time of his career. Been at, you know, top and ready guy for a decade plus. I want him, others still want him around, but I would say Patrick, mindset-wise, hopefully he will land something quality for the Indy 500, but I don't know if I would be too upset if you learn that either A, he chooses not to accept whatever offers are in front of him, or he decides to transition away from active IndyCar driving, active racing in general, and maybe focuses on some other things in life. So I'm not breaking any news here. He hasn't told me that he's stepping away or anything like that, but just know that he's at that somewhat sweet spot in life where you go, hey, kids are getting a little bit bigger, a little bit more active. I've had a really good long career, want a lot of stuff, etc. Um, still want to race, but maybe it's more spot events than me just trying to really hustle to get whatever I can to keep going. So hope to hear a little bit more from him. We spoke for maybe 30 seconds today because he was busy. Uh, it was nothing but cart engines in the background. So, uh, but yeah, he's just had a bit of a transition point. I would say Patrick just don't know what that transition is going to be and how far away or how frequently it would be away from racing and how much he's going to stay in. So I'd tell you 50, 50 right now on him being in a car for the 500. So keep your, uh, your ears peeled. Uh, let's see. Why don't we go to at SRT Nick 12 on Twitter who asks what would be a successful season uh, for Connor Daly? Pretty straightforward here as I see it. Good old SRT Nick. No excuses. It's a no excuses year. I'll say that to be mean towards Connor, negative or otherwise, but few too many times over the last year or two where on road and street courses did not have the upper hand. Some instances where he was, to my surprise, pleasant surprise, uh, faster than Renus VK. But I'd say Renus certainly seemed to have the, the upper hand more often than not. So if we're talking about success, I don't know where the Carpenter team is going to fall this year in terms of moving far up the grid. They are pretty darn consistent in every capacity. Got the same drivers now with Connor going full-time, right? So that's a great bump for him and the team. And I think, what, this is Ed Carpenter Racing's 10th anniversary or something like that. Um, no real changes on the engineering side, race engineer side at least. So same race engineers, same drivers, same crew chief, same pretty much everything. Need to put out the little story I did with uh, ECR team manager Tim Broyles on that fact, by the way. Um, for those who just heard what I said in this response, you don't really need to bother reading it because I just told you everything that's in it. But uh, <laughs> why does that matter? 
Well, wow. If you look to the rest of the grid, just about every single team has gone through serious slash meaningful revisions to itself in the hope of being better. Uh, we've had a number of changes on the, at Ganassi. would say all of them very positive. Uh, if we were to look at Aero McLaren SP, they've undergone significant changes. Andretti Autosport, same significant. Uh, coin, granted, they're still scrambling to try and get all the personnel they need and whatnot, so that's not necessarily a good one. But they, too, uh, a lot of changes there. Meyershank Racing, some significant changes. Ray Halletterman Lanigan, significant changes. Driver and engineer, same with Penske. You have, for the most part, a lot of teams by choice, some of them not so much by choice, but in one way or the other, you're finding that almost every single team, especially the major title contenders here, they are are trying something different, bringing in new person to wheel the car, engineer the car, whatever it might be. If I look at the Ed Carpenter racing team, which reached pretty darn high with Renus, the first six, seven, eight races, however many it was of the year before he uh, crashed his bike and got hurt and was out for a little bit, they reached pretty darn high. But as an overall across both entries uh, type effort, wasn't the strongest thing that I've ever seen from them. And so this is why when we talk about uh, expectations for Connor, I think he's going to only be better, faster, you name it, and give Renus a harder time. And because I'm rooting for both, I hope that there's not any kind of significant or consistent gap between the two of them in practice qualifying of the races. What I'm not sure about here, SRT Nick 12 at Twitter, is where ECR as a whole is going to end up sitting among the other teams. So I think for them to move forward, it is going to take one of those teams that I mentioned that's been in front of them, that's made a decent number of driver or engineering changes or both, to take steps back. So there's nothing that I've seen that I would say is additive to Ed Carpenter racing to make me believe, aha, there's that new twist for the new season, the new wrinkle that's going to move you one or two spots up uh, in the paddock among the other teams. So if the teams that have made those decent-sized changes all improve from those changes we might actually see the ECR team step back a little bit. So it's what makes it hard to say what's a success for Connor. Championship placement-wise, we're going to have to find out where ECR falls among the others. What would be a true individual success for our man from Indiana? It is zeroing the gap to Renus, if not getting ahead of Renus more than we have seen in the past. Another case in the paddock of where do you fit next to your teammate who is established and considered by many as truly one of the young stars of the future. Connor being, you know, 30-ish or so, 
definitely going to be measuring himself and we will be measuring his success against that of Renus VK. Uh, Moose Parish at HST a moose, uh, has to moose on Twitter says, what is bit Nile? That is Connor Daly's sponsor. Um, yeah. Uh, crypto stuff. I have no idea. Like I, <laughs> I don't know if it's an age thing. It's just a, I don't care thing. Like, cryptocurrency i don't follow it i vaguely understand it but if you ask me to explain what it is in any depth i'd embarrass myself and so since that's what i have to tell you about the concept of cryptocurrency to begin with i know even less if we were to drill down into a company like bitnile uh things i can tell you according to some other folks that i'd spoken to there was the belief that this was going to get done uh, at the beginning of the week on Monday of last week, and it didn't, and then it didn't, and then it didn't, and there was a fair amount of agita and concern. Finally, it did get done, and so we had a bit of a, a hey, it's happening announcement uh, very, very early f- last Friday morning. And yet again, that was one of those things that you wake up to and go, awesome, it did happen. Would say that there were concerns for whether this was going to to fully happen the way that it was supposed to, uh, but it did, and that makes me super happy. So uh, why don't we go to Todd Hudson, who I think is wrapping up the subject here. It says, MP, I know many teams borrow guys from uh, their teams and other forms of racing. Uh, for extra entrance, does ECR have a working relationship with any teams for their extra car? Or do they uh, take a different approach, assuming they'll need that third team a little more this year? Not aware of them having a, a borrowing relationship with anyone else here, Todd. So, yeah, I would say they would have to make use with those uh, internal folks and or those that they've been bringing in on a regular basis for their Indy 500, third Indy 500 entries see if some of those folks can do uh, some extra races, assuming Ed will be doing something outside of the Indy 500. Where else do we go here? Uh, Susan at uh, Vitos, uh, Vital Sue from Twitter. wonder if this is one of your first times submitting, Susan. She asks, how much does the Borg Warner Trophy weigh? Just saw a picture of it, and I was struck by its size. I asked my friend Steve Shunk, who handles PR for Borg Warner and the trophy and their racing stuff. He tells me it weighs 110 pounds, and it is the height of Takuma Sato, uh, approximately five foot three. So I think Takuma weighs like, I don't know, buck 30, uh, buck 40, whatever it is. But basically, it's the size and almost weight of Takuma Sato. So, yeah, that's what I hope. Uh, Nick underscore nick dr underscore 12 from reddit you actually have another ecr question i love it says thoughts on renus vk uh he's dutch and sexy those are my main thoughts um taller than you'd expect too. tall kid so got a bunch of tall people in any car says uh if we uh, if he has a great season in 2022 does he have a chance of going to a bigger team or is he stuck at ed carpenter racing forever okay brain fade 
here. I don't recall if he is on another year after 2022 contractually or if it's a option year, meaning he's signed through 2022 and then he or the team has the option to pick up the third year or if it's just two more years, period. I don't know. I can tell you that Renus going into 21 was someone that some of the bigger teams for sure were looking at and without a doubt were very intrigued by what they saw with his pace, the win that he got, obviously, but his pace to open the season until he got hurt. After that, and this is where the answer to your questions coming. Coming back from that injury, what was it? Was it the injury? Was he lacking the full strength and mechanical leverage because of that broken collarbone and whatnot? Was he lacking the ability to put all the grunt into the steering wheel that he needed to perform at the same level on road and street courses? Were there some other issues? Was it some team stuff? Was it a combination of all? I don't know. But his was a tale of two seasons, one which was highly impressive before the crash and then one that was really strange and almost forgot he was there more often than not in the second half of his sophomore season. So he is on my list, and I'll finish writing it here sometime. No huge rush, but finish it sometime soon, of the folks who are indeed driving for career extensions. Not positive how much longer he will be obligated to ECR, but if he is someone that delivers like he did early in 2021 when we get into the new season and he can keep that going, I definitely think his stock is going to skyrocket. So yet another one of those drivers where you go, hey, you can dictate your future with how this upcoming season plays out. Not every year is like that. Not every, you know, looking a year down the road, 2023, can you say, ooh, going to be some prime opportunities available you if you perform the way that we hope you will could play yourself into some of those key opportunities but if you don't yeah this opportunity might not come around soon enough and you might be in a little bit of trouble here uh let's see ed joris you got a long one here um i'll save that for right now uh jeremiah morale says awesome to see Tony Kanon coming back for another run at the 500. Any word on what number the car will run? Uh, no clue. You'll see who can we expect as team personnel. Wouldn't be surprised if his former race engineer, Chris Simmons might uh, do fifth car duty for this, but also knowing that Chris is the team's like big overarching performance director type who's really helped contribute to their big two consecutive seasons in a row of championships. We'll see if they want to place him in that role. If there's someone else, they might have come over and help with that. I don't have the answer yet. We'll certainly be uh, trying to track this one down as soon as I have the bandwidth, my friend. Please say hello to your amazing wife, by the way, Jeremiah. And thank you to her and you for being awesome. Uh, let's see. Jerry Suddeth says, seeing a healthy blanket of snow on the ground makes me curious. What presents the bigger setup challenges for a race engineer? Cold weather or hot weather and why? 
cold weather for sure and i mean real cold weather jerry just because making everything warm tires warm everything operating at a decent level giving the driver adequate grip adequate confidence that's a thing where you're really fighting the elements if you say hot weather too you go wouldn't you'd be fighting that as well sure if it's extreme and you're starting to get the limits of keeping the motor cool for example uh but we operate in heat so much more often than true true cold i would say the cold would be the one where yeah boy you're having to do some interesting things to make the car perform uh i know without a doubt uh that having to artificially inflate your starting tire temperatures, tire pressures, for example, uh, bumping them up higher than you normally would because there's just not going to be enough temperature in the track, enough heat and friction to cause tires to balloon as much as you would want. You know, that's always something you're working on. Uh, But then making things a little bit softer on the car, springing, roll, you name it, to comply because, hey, if the tires aren't really giving you a lot of great grip, got to do something to uh, make the car you know not just slide off the track in every corner so i think that would probably be the place where you'd look for the most challenges to pop up um i always loved uh cold and trying to make cars work in the cold but that's just because i get bored easily so i like to play uh let's see why don't we go to pen racing fan i think another newish question submitter at pen p-e-n-n racing fan on the old tweeters says mp what are you most excited about in the upcoming 2022 season oh boy how much time do we have kidding Uh, a couple things love the ongoing youth versus age battle this thing's only getting stronger each year for the youth right uh boy we got a lot of new youngish drivers coming in be interesting to see how some of the veteran drivers deal with it seen over the last two three years not as well as we'd hope would be the answer on how they deal with it just some murderous young drivers with crazy talent who just don't care don't give a bleep and want to destroy this is no like oh i'm starstruck because i'm sharing the same track with name the veteran driver who's won a lot of stuff or whatever it's yeah it's really cool and hey yeah uh you were my dad's favorite driver but guess what you don't mean nothing to me old man i love that kind of stuff right that's just evolution uh that's just age and time and it's old lions and young lions and so i love that so that's always something i'm looking for and we are indeed very fortunate at pen racing fan to have that dynamic going on here again i think what might excite me the most is all the changes to see how those play out air mclaren sp is taking a big swing they if if everything plays out the way that they hope and i think they should they should be a serious title contender far more than they were last year ray hall letterman lanigan yowza some big stuff going on here where yet again uh if that uh truly kicks off the way that it should I think that has great, great potential. So 
if you've been a long time IndyCar fan, there might be stretches where you feel bored or you might feel like things are a little bit repetitive. Okay, it's kind of the same driver, same team, same this, same that. You know, rinse, wash, repeat. Doesn't mean you don't enjoy the racing. Doesn't mean there aren't some great surprises, but there's often a feeling of like, okay, well, we're just reconvening. It's, you know, cool. Uh, going back to school and it's all the same people, you know, same types of classes. <sighs> hard to feel that way coming into this new year whether it's the driver changes the aforementioned engineering or 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 staffing changes and such the influx of new and young drivers um wow the uh the script has been rewritten heavily shaken up heavily who do you say going into saint pete is the odds-on favorite to win the pole and win the race. Right now, I'd say Colton Herta, based on how he closed last season. But who knows what Team Penske, Chip Ganassi, some of the other Andretti drivers and engineering combos, or run down the list, who knows what the others have come up with. I like the fact that I'm, I don't feel like we can say, okay, it's going to be Newgarden, it's going to be Dixon, it's going to be... One or two of these others, as it always is, of course I expect them to be there. But I love that it feels like there's a bunch of wild cards that could really upset the predictability of the season. So coming off of a 2021 championship that felt like it was pretty wild, my good old feeling is that 2022 should be even crazier and less predictable. And if I'm correct, Man, we are all going to be winners here. Uh, Let's see. We go to Parker Woodruff. Parker as well. Um, Might be your first or not many questions do I remember from seeing you before. Says, uh, is it really worth running more than one tire compound? Seems like going to one compound could lower participation expenses. And I really don't think the quote strategy as much for audience either lots of tires go barely used just because they have to um yeah i wouldn't say lots of tires go barely used uh at all parker given every team has the same amount that they're given going into the weekend they look at the strategy of what to use and when in the sessions leading up to the race in qualifying as well uh, and then, yeah, I'm struggling, unless we're talking about someone who crashes, struggling to think of many scenarios where we do indeed have lots of unused tires uh, sitting around. So I don't think that's so much of a thing. I can tell you that the close to the Laguna Seca race this past season was hailed as one of the most entertaining people, you know, jumping out of their seats oh my gosh type deals because of Romain Grosjean being able to charge through the field Uh, that was done exclusively because of tire strategy differences Um, so I don't agree and I don't see where this helps anything and I don't foresee costs coming down one thing even if they went to a single compound uh, I would not foresee Firestone saying, and we're going to charge you less. Most entities 
that charge lease prices don't actually lower them uh, if there's a change. So I just don't see any merits to this, nor do I see the racing improving because of it. So, yeah, um, we will agree to disagree here. Champ Car Forever says the optional use of barge boards on the three non-Indy Oval should make for an interesting challenge. Says How much time and money will the team spend on research of shocks and shaker rigs with this new part? Uh, plus, which teams helped Delara with the testing? I don't know. On the last part, I'm not even fully sure that the latter part has tested. Uh, the new one for uh, Iowa and Gateway um, wouldn't really be doing anything with shocks and shaker rigs uh, because of the possible addition of some extra downforce. But certainly teams will be looking at aero mapping, of course, and looking at what potentially this downforce might be able to do to help from an improvement of lap time. Um, just not much here that I would expect in terms of doing anything with shocks or, or uh, damping and ride related so much because you know while it's a, a decent bump at Texas, 9 to 10%, it's 3-ish percent at Iowa and Gateway. And so shouldn't really radically alter the ride characteristics of the car. Uh, Kevin DeVries says, MP, hello from a freshly blanketed and snowy Ontario. The 22 light schedule is skipping Toronto this year. Is this a budget-minded alteration? Or uh, in conjunction with being the only event not on network TV, showing a lack of faith in the lone crossover event proceeding as planned by the powers that be? It'd be really weird, Kev, for... Penske Entertainment to signal they don't believe the event's going to happen by keeping Indy Lights off an IndyCar schedule. Uh, if they don't have faith in it, I would say they would not have scheduled IndyCar. Um, so, yeah, I uh, wouldn't attach those two things in any meaningful way. My guess would be purely budget-minded. Roger saying he's intending to bring costs down. Not saying that going to Canada is some sort of crazy expense, but... Um, my guess is that's the mindset. So just too bad because Indy Lights, Toronto, believe Toronto, uh, they were on the inaugural, what, 86 Toronto schedule. So yeah, wish that we had Road to Indy with a strong presence in Canada. Heck, Mexico too, but those are two things that we do not currently have. Uh, let's see. You're going to get down to the last handful of questions here. Tim Falkowitz. How you doing, pal? Tim, who is the first person to help me put together the questions. Every week he says, for hashtag you personally, do you think McLaren will win an F1 championship or an IndyCar championship first? The answer is probably obvious, but curious what additional insights you might have. I am earmarking... Aaron McLaren SP for a possible IndyCar championship this year. I uh, know that Pato vied for a title, was second for most of the season, faltered a bit towards the end. I think as I wrote in one of my pieces last week, it was effectively a one-car team going for that title, right? With the many issues that the number seven Chevy had, Felix Rosenquist, uh, not being super competitive, the big crash left him out for a couple of rounds. Um, I mean, the main issue there, 
not Felix's inability to drive a race car. Obviously, we know that he can. Setup-wise, team had gone really far in Pato's direction, which pretty much nobody other than Pato can drive. So Felix showed up and found that, oh, there's there's going to be a lot of work we need to do to develop a car that suits my needs. And that finally started to happen towards the end of the year. But I just mentioned that, Tim, because effectively you had one driver fighting for the title from Aaron McLaren SP without having much in the way of assistance coming in from the second car. There's nothing much that Felix could do to give back that would help Pato or the team in their quest for the title. With the engineering changes there, I think we are going to see two cars that are more equal in terms of competitiveness. Do I think Felix is going to outrun Pato? No, but I think he's going to be closer. And if he's closer, if not right on his gearbox or, or you know within reach of his gearbox, it's only going to help take points away from other drivers. In theory, that's where some of the significant championship help would come from think in a very general sense here, the McLaren F1 team is making great progress, but as we know about F1, being a third or fourth place team in the Constructors' Championship is about the same as being dead last in any other championship. You might be close, but the gap to getting to P2 or even P1 is so massive that wow we talk about by the end of the decade (laughs) maybe he'll be vying for an f1 title in indycar i will not be shocked if we are celebrating pato award as your 2022 indycar champion if he's not a champion by 2023 so i'll give it two years but if he's not a champ by the end of 23 i will again be shocked so, yeah, that's where I'd put my money here, my friend. Uh, Raymond Wong says, hope things are going okay with you, your wife and the cats. Uh, cats are doing well. You know, there's a massive cat food shortage, by the way, a thing that I've learned about and had to go to a couple of uh, larger chain pet stores to try and see what they have left for our cats, by the way. Crazy times we live in. Um, my wife is doing well, by the way. Thank you. Uh, and I'm doing okay. This is in the 2010s. Which winless driver should have gotten a win at least once? This applies to drivers who drove only from 2010 to 2019. Oh, boy. Wow. There's a lot of answers I could give here. Come on, Raymond. Don't do that to me, man. Uh, now I got to go look up names and such. One of them that popped out immediately was Jack Hawksworth. And I know he didn't really have super opportunities, you know, cars that were fully capable, but talent-wise, certainly. Can I just say from a sentimental standpoint, Simona Di Silvestro? I know that she had her podium, what was it, second place uh, at Houston in 2013, which was awesome. But, yeah, I know that that's a woman that has the talent to win. I sure wish she would have gotten a win. 
wow, you're stumping me a little bit here. You're not, I'm stumping myself just because my brain's not fully thinking. How's this? As I often do when I realize I should just shut up. Why don't y'all tell me who should have won at least once last decade, but didn't, um, I'm more interested in hearing your thoughts than my own. Uh, I, I lemur from Reddit. The last question here above the yellow line of death. I think we're going to reach out to the go below to the, the red line of death here just a little bit. It says, let's say all other comparable motorsports series also have competitively close racing. Uh, and someone asks you, what is IndyCar and what is special about it? What would you say? Well, I'd say the diversity of disciplines for sure. That's what makes IndyCar stand out. But also say the physical challenges involved. If we look at what IndyCar does that no other series does in any form, anywhere on the planet Earth. Three types of ovals, two types of road racing. So if you look at the disciplines, it's five unique disciplines. The driver and team that can perform the best across all five disciplines be crowned champion. It's just not a thing anywhere else. It really isn't. Short oval, medium oval, if you want to call that, and then super speedway, right? We've got high banked oval, which is pretty crazy. Barely any banking at all ovals. We've got a bull ring. Um, pretty crazy right there and there alone. Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Texas Motor Speedway, Iowa Speedway, Worldwide Technologies Raceway, a.k.a. Gateway. These are four totally unique ovals, not just in distance, size, banking, whatever, but just nothing in common between the four. So not only do drivers have to master those four things that are totally uncommon, but the driver-engineer relationship, technical side, massively important as well. Engineers have to be phenomenal across those four disciplines. And then we look at the road courses and street courses. And I love the fact that we even have some diversity, mostly on the road course side. We have not ton, but if we think of say road America as the top bar in terms of big, long, pretty much all high speed, four miles, super flowing, you name it. You cut that almost in half lengthwise at mid Ohio you go to Laguna Seca, some tracks that have fresh-ish paving. Barber comes to mind, crazy roller coaster of a place. Go to Laguna Seca where you go, yeah, a bit of a roller coaster too, but zero grip. Um, Nashville, which is kind of a big roller derby. <laughs> uh, after one season or one race there, we could say that. Long Beach, well-established. I mean, it's... That's the thing, I, I, Lemur, from Reddit, where you go, what makes IndyCar unique? You can't just be a great oval driver. You can't just be a great road course driver. Can't be great on street courses and be crowned the champion. You've got to master all these different disciplines, uh, and I love that about IndyCar. Then you throw in the physicality. So they're fairly powerful, not as powerful as they once were, but that hopefully is going to be changed here next year. The lack of power steering is a big thing. There is a certain stamina element involved. 
and I like that too. Uh, these things are rough to drive. Some of them are, are way too hot in the cockpit too. There is a endurance aspect that we know about as well. Not every driver loves it. Not every fan loves it, thinks that they should have power steering and all kinds of things to keep them as just happy and cool as possible. Just saying winning an IndyCar championship is an accomplishment of multiple discipline mastery and physical and mental endurance in ways that you will not find in any other form of racing. So there you go. Uh, we're going to close the show with a couple here. Uh, Brett keys says it's cool to see one of my son's favorite characters. Blippy visit IMS 150 million plus views, not for that video, but for blippy in general. Um, what other kind of things could IndyCar do to promote itself to young kids? It says I'd love to see Nickelodeon slime style broadcast like they've brought to the NFL. Any thoughts? So thanks to your note here, Brett, I went and found out what the heck a blippy was because we have furry kids, but we don't have human kids. So I had no idea what you're talking about. Um, yeah, it was actually really cool. It was also fun seeing Alexander Rossi and, uh, well, Hinch to some degree, but Rossi trying to be relatable to kids um really interesting to see that i would also say that big thumbs up to indycar for making that happen i know that some of the other suggestions that i hear are more stem based right hey how could we come up with some sort of some sort of stem initiative of bringing indycar technology math science etc to schools that's the other main thing that comes to mind. But yeah, if we're talking about engaging with youth, uh, yeah, streaming and TV methods. And again, we're talking real true kid kids uh, here with Blippi, not teenagers and such. Uh, it sure seems like this is a really good start. Uh, Ed Roberts asked this question a few months ago. Any determination whether uh, showing the 8500 on Peacock um, will happen inside the geoblocked indie market? Uh, best you and your rock star wife. I don't, uh, let me flag this Ed, see if I can get an answer out of IndyCar or NBC taking another sip here. Grant Stouter talking about, uh, what I just mentioned a little bit about with Felix, but you want to know, is this a make or break year? hundred percent, uh, last year of his contract without a doubt, the guy is like a few other drivers driving for their next contract. And if they don't drive and don't get what they need. They're not only going to not get a, another contract. They're not probably going to be an IndyCar any longer elsewhere uh, beyond their current teams. Uh, let's see. What am I doing here? We're going to Dan Gallagher. Uh, let me scroll through. I think I got a couple more I wanted to get to that aren't, uh, aren't above, but, uh, NASCAR has done really well with the Xfinity and trucks by having current top series drivers compete in the lower categories. I'd argue that with uh, uh, the peak of this was maybe the 1990s, but do you think there's a reason or path or value for that saying Indy Lights? Yeah, I don't. I think if we look at what's happened in NASCAR, yeah. Uh, since I want to get you a couple more questions, Dan, and I don't want to belabor the point, I just don't see there being any real crossover linkage or value of this happening uh, here in Indy Lights. 
Uh, let's see. Jeremy Bullard says, I hope all is well. The talk last week was who could be an IndyCar heel. You nominate Graham Ray Hall. Uh, says he speaks his mind, but also has a very good relationship with sponsors that could allow a little more talk and action among other drivers. Yeah, I had one or two other folks say, you oh, pretty idiot, Graham Ray Hall, for sure. And um, I can see it a little bit, but that's not his personality. And he's not trying to be that guy. To be a heel, you've got to be that guy. And whether it's natural and you're just talking smack all the time, or it's manufactured WWE wrestling style, you got to fully lean into that. That is not Graham Ray Hall's personality. He says those things when it's on his heart, but he's not that guy normally. And so therefore I hear you. He's maybe the, the easiest we could think to convert, but that's just tr truly not who he is on the inside. Uh, let's see, where am I going to go here? Sorry for the, actually, I don't know if I'm sorry for the, the dead air. Maybe you're enjoying it. Uh, Brian McKay, you're curious about how many car teams are supplied with tires on their test days. Uh, most cases they will have their tires fitted. Those tires fitted to wheels, uh, before they go test in Indy and then come back and have them dismounted as necessary. If it's a bigger test like a lot of cars you might see firestone show up for that uh chuck kaiser kaiser i apologize chuck i never know how to get your last name correct you're curious uh how tires are allocated for teams during the month of may they all have the same amount of sets um so yeah that's pretty much it there uh where else do we go here rishi Bond. hey pal as MP following up on today's IndyCar content day, what would you say is the most underrated storyline coming into the season? Also says continued well wishes to you and your wife. Thanks, man. I'm going to go to Ray Hall. I think the Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan modifications. Jack Harvey coming in, good new engineer he'll be working with. Christian Lungard coming in, another good engineer he'll be working with. The team's growth in general I think this, they are going to surprise Graham Rahal continuing to work with Alan McDonald. Alan, who'll be taking on bigger responsibilities engineering wise within the team. Eddie Jones still being there, kind of the, the wise overseer of, of engineering and whatnot. I think the Rahal team haven't done anything crazy splashy, right? Maybe not as big and splashy as air mclaren sp i think they're going to be a surprising surprising force i think graham's going to do well as he always does but i think jack I think jack's going to feel reinvigorated and i think christian's going to be someone who genuinely is surprising the heck out of people winning your rookie of the year um i'm putting my money on him period uh, Tice, Baron Drecht. How you doing, Tice? I think I got your first name right. Our pal from Holland says, with the amount of full-time cars now, being 26, is a leader circle still relevant? Leader circle program that pays around about a million dollars guaranteed to uh, the top 22 teams that sign up to compete at every round. It says, I see this as a way to discourage teams 
from running a car just to make a quick buck, not really being there for the racing. Basically, he says, do you think there should still be a leader circle? Yeah, debated this a couple episodes ago, I think, Tice. I'd say the feasibility of the leader circle and its ongoing presence should be called into question with each new full season entry. So we're going to be at 26. So that means 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th entry. Four of the 22 will not earn these contracts. I can't think of many, if any, entries, I would say, that are truly out there to, quote, make a buck because, let me rephrase that, of the ones that we think might be on the cusp of not making it into the top 22, of those who might be at risk of not getting a leader circle contract, there's really none that come to mind where I'd say, oh, and you're just clocking crazy dollars. You're just here to pocket money by running this driver, whether the driver brings money from personal wealth, family stuff, or they have some sort of sponsor that they found. I can't really find many, if any, that would apply to that tie. So I'd say that while there are certainly some entries that are more competitive than others and have better odds of finishing in the top 22 than others, I don't know if there is any real discouragement that needs to happen to keep folks from running a car just to get that million bucks because they still need to come up with five more million to be there to do a full season. So that's the thing that jumps out, I guess I would say, most heavily here. Uh, They're going to be, and I realize that the number could change a little bit, could be a little lower, a little higher, but there's... Round numbers, $22 million to give away in guaranteed prize money, split evenly across those top 22 cars. If you think of the four that will miss the cut collectively, they will spend $24 million. So there's a lot of money being spent hoping to get one-sixth of their budget paid for by IndyCar for the following season. That's where I just say that might deconstruct the the discouragement argument a little bit. But where I come back to the to close on the is this sustainable? Is this worthy? Is it doing what it should do? Hey, we're going to be at twenty six cars. That's great. Four aren't going to earn contracts. Okay, going to be some part time cars. Some of those are hoping to become full time afterwards. If we're at 27, 28 cars full season here soon, in the next year or two or however long, that's a decent percentage of the paddock that is not getting a leader circle contract unless Roger Penske and company change their policy of limiting it to the top 22. I don't want to go back over everything I went over recently, but there is still the underlying conceptual, moral, whatever, however you want to, whatever category you want to put it in, problem of you came up with the leader circle 15-ish plus years ago to say, okay, we're going to do this socialized prize money thing. And I'm okay with it. As long as everybody's included. But if you're saying, hey, the top 22 get it, but the others don't, 
you keep pushing those numbers up to 27, 28, and so on, and I just think you have a real philosophical issue here that you need to answer. If you're going to give away guaranteed prize money, if you're going to come up with a dollar amount, divvy it up, and spread it equally, well, damn it, don't then... If you're trying to remove the concept of have and have nots with prize money to make sure that we're going this socialized direction, everybody gets some, everyone gets it equally. Got it. Cool. Again, I have no issue with that until you start saying, oh, but actually, well, you don't. Okay. Uh, does the entrant that finishes 22nd, can we really say they did anything remarkable? <laughs> right yeah they they did better than the entrant that finished 23rd but just saying if we're talking about hey how'd your year go ah i finished 22nd out of 26 full-time cars most people go yeah that was a shitty year <laughs> right so then why would we draw a line that says oh but if you're 22nd or 21st well you're worthy of a million bucks but uh that disgusting reprobate and 23rd in the others like them after they don't that to me is total nonsense so if the entry list is going to continue to grow full-time i even think if you're getting folks committing seriously part-time if you're going to guarantee then you got to guarantee for all because if you're going to start to build a dynamic of have and have nots while just freely giving away prize money, I think you're going to have more team owners say, yeah, we're not going to bother with an extra entry or uh, for those who are in the series or those who might be interested going, well, well, that's not fair. Like, (laughs) why would I bother in your stupid series? If you're going to tell me that in my debut year where I'm having to scrape together everything I have to try and be there, like, Hey, I'm not expecting to do that. Well, it's going to take a little while. But if you want to tell me, that, oh, if you're 22nd, you're some some sort of magic unicorn that deserves a million bucks, you had a terrible year, Mr. or Mrs. P22. Terrible. Garbage compared to the winner, second place, third place. But magically, they still warrant a million bucks. So I like Mike Hull's suggestion. Hey, couple options here forget this top 22 uh if we've got 26 cars either divvy up that total that 22 million across 26 cars or add more money to the leader circle and divvy that up equally across 26 cars so everybody gets a million bucks first to 26th or everyone gets a smaller amount first through whatever divvying up that 22 whatever it is it's just the weird thing tice of eliminating the have and have nots but then creating have and have nots totally does not make sense in my mind time to step off the little soapbox here okay uh gonna get to what do we have here one or two more right about an hour and a half or so cassie our pal cassie uh she says hey mp have you heard any race for quality and change updates beyond Ernie Francis Jr. and Indy Lights and the assumed support somehow of Preta Autosport at the Indy 500. Um, Cassie, who I genuinely appreciate, and is one of the leaders of our Prude listener group. 
she says the health of our sport depends upon fostering a more diverse paddock. Plus, it's just the right thing to do. So I'm always eager to hear next. My friend Cassie, I will have to ask you to keep your ears open for a while longer because I don't think you're going to hear anything. Uh, Ernie Francis Jr. doing Indy Lights, Force Indy, possibly some support from another more experienced Indy Lights team. Yes. Beth and her program hopefully getting some sort of something support from Roger Penske. Yes. I'm not aware of anything beyond that. The main thing I'm not aware of is creating a ongoing sustaining ladder development system. My concern is if Ernie Francis Jr. has an amazing season in Indy Lights. Don't know if he wins the championship, but finishes top two, top three. Let's say that happens. Do I think we're going to come back in 2023 and find that Force Indy is still in Indy Lights? That Roger Penske's Race for Quality and Change program is still active on the road to Indy? I don't. I want it to be. I hope that it would, but behaviors would suggest they aren't looking to make a long-term investment in the road to Indy. They're more interested based on actions, in getting to IndyCar. I would maybe put out a little keep an eye on this of if and when Ernie does as well as I hope that he will and demonstrates he's worthy of going to IndyCar, do I think we're going to see the Force Indy name in IndyCar? Absolutely. And some of it's african-american crew absolutely i think that'd be great I, I mean truly i think it'd be great one team one guy one team one woman of color problem solved yeah not what i'm uh, not what i've been hoping for so next time i get a chance to speak with bud denker who is roger penske's number two and has been a central player in the creation of the uh, race for equality and change. Throw some of these harder questions at him. Bud tends not to like those questions, but I don't know. Uh, they need to be asked. Uh, our pal right turn lover says, not a question. Just want to mention that your new uh, music bed sounds something that could quite possibly be in a Quentin Tarantino movie. That said, if Tarantino did do an IndyCar movie, what would be in the soundtrack? I mean, it'd be all kitschy, late 60s, 70s soul. Some of it, some cool soul stuff. But um, yeah, the the main theme uh, from at least one of his movies, I mean, Pulp Fiction's the obvious one that comes to mind, used Dick Dale, um, Monsieur Lou is the name of the song, uh, Surf Rock God being dick dales just listened to him recently so uh yeah a little bit of surf rock for intro and outro now and yeah hey not a total surprise um jeremiah schnetzka so i was wondering if you know of any drivers outside of any car that could arrive in 23 by proving their talents this year in another series <sighs> say the top one that keeps standing out is ricky taylor and imsa you know imsa 
prototype champion multiple times over Rolex 24 race winner multiple times. Um, I don't know why IndyCar teams have not said, Hey, Ricky Taylor, please come drive for us. He did that one test for Penske in 20, whatever it was, 15, 16, something like that. And was crazy quick. Um, yeah, Ricky Taylor, I would say he's the only one that stands out to me as someone who could, if someone were to really think laterally about trying to fill a seat, jump on that guy. Cause I think he would be magic. Uh, where else do we go here before I say farewell? Don Davis, you got a question about all the new hires at Ray Hall Edelman Lanigan. Um, not sure you're not necessarily feeling them. I already mentioned that I do. Uh, Marissa at Sputnik under G, underscore G on the good old Twitters. Maybe uh, do we close here? Uh, one more after this. I love the fact that I have so many awesome IndyCar loving women uh, active sending in questions here and joining the discussion. Seriously, it makes me so happy and proud. I might be telling you a really obvious thing, but like women in racing is the best thing, <laughs> period. Uh, massive, super extra fan and supporter of women doing anything awesome. Uh, my wife, center of my universe, I am powered by her awesomeness every day. So um, also really fortunate. I don't know if I've shared all this. It's not like it's anything deep, but been really fortunate to work with a number of women racers over the years uh the work first uh driver that i worked with um ari goldberg arlie goldberg i'm sorry arlie goldberg in 1990 was really fortunate to work with margie smith haas uh first woman champion of a professional road racing series in the u.s uh was part of that team crew whatever so again i take crazy pride in that she's just an amazing woman um haven't i think i've only worked with one woman was a mechanic in racing she is an ongoing ball of awesomeness um and there are a number of other women that i've been fortunate to work with over the years uh whether it's driving or team crew whatever side just overstating the obvious but I get tired of being around dumb boys all the time in racing. So um, really do appreciate uh, all of your participation, Cassie, Marissa, Nicole, who's coming up here in a second to close the show. Uh, so Marissa, you say, looking to bring some friends down to Indy for practice and qualifying? Most don't know much about racing, so I'm not sure what might be more enjoyable. Any tips, um, guidelines for newbies in the sport? She also says best to... Shabrell, my wife, and the cats. I love how the cats always get some love here. Huh. Couple of tips for sure. And that is some of this might involve a bit of wandering around and, and seeing where you can get before maybe some folks say, Yeah, you're not supposed to be here. But Indianapolis, I would say, is best enjoyed in the corners. Just talking about the experience. Let's say your friends don't know a th least bit about racing or IndyCar at all from now until when you arrive. For whatever reason, they don't learn a thing. If you have the ability to go out and get into turn four, 
uh, turn three in the backside a little bit, walking around the outside. Inside is cool. Outside is where you truly get the, oh my gosh, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm going to, oh, I got to watch out. I'm going to poop myself. And I say this from experience of standing right up next to the wall, corner exits of you name it. And it is frightening how fast these cars go. And so this is something that, and I mean this, this is not hyperbole. You will not find this anywhere else on the planet. There's not one other place where you will find cars going faster on a sustained level than at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway during practice qualifying the race. Practice in the race is great because it's not crazily packed. And so however you do it, uh, grandstands, bottom, getting low as you can, getting as close as you can. It's a walk-around facility, right? It's not, in my estimation, a place where you either get a seat and sit in that seat all day long, or if you're on the infield, you don't just bring you know a fold-out chair and sit on a viewing mount all day long. You get up and walk around, experience it, view it from different vantage points. If you can get on the outside of turn three, turn four, turn one, uh, low in the grandstands, whatever it is, Get there with your friends. Do that right away and see and feel the speed because it looks like and feels like missiles with human beings strapped in them are being fired directly at you. And so not only is the rapid change of visuals uh, something that warps your mind. Wait a minute. That thing was right there, like really far away. And then it came straight at me. Now it's gone. What? How did that happen that fast? You throw the raging sound of the engines into that equation. So there's a screaming, snarling Doppler-ish effect as well of that speed going, right? What? And then... There's the movement of the air. And in some places, the rattling of the grandstands by the big hole being punched in the air by the cars at the speed they're going, the force being generated. You kind of feel it with your whole body, the closer you can get. And it is, again, unlike anything else you're going to experience anywhere. You can go to a NASCAR race. It's not going to happen. You can go to F1. It's not going to happen. This is it. These are 220, 230 mile an hour missiles locked inside a two and a half mile facility going round and round and round for our not just viewing pleasure and and amusement, but also the, it's, it's the great white shark swimming at top speed racing right up to the glass at the aquarium you're at. I don't know if that actually exists anywhere, but I've seen movies like The Meg where they're underwater and the Meg comes up at and bites the thing, the glass. Okay, so I'm using a little bit of movie stuff here. It may not really happen in the real world, but it's that kind of thing where you, you go, okay, I'm a normal human being and I'm standing and I feel like I understand my surroundings and I'm comfortable and safe in them. And then there is this snarling wheel and tire based creature that just destroyed my senses took away my safe sense of safety and security 
and my brain is genuinely struggling to process the speed at which the the image and the sound is coming and going nowhere else on the planet your friends will see that i would just recommend however you do it get them down low as close as you can turn one three four right away so the first thing they get is the holy shit what is this oh my god from there build on that go and find groups go and find some friend whether you know them or not go and find where some folks are sitting in the grandstands a larger cluster you're going to probably find some very friendly people your friends are going to learn oh this is cool like these are you know reach hey how you doing my name's this my name's that get to know each other it's a fairly friendly fan base walk to the infield uh, behind the pagoda some cool stuff the pagoda itself is pretty darn cool there's just so many unique things about the speedway where you go hey you might not know about racing you might not know about any of this but you're going to leave here with your mind blown with some amazing photos on your phone or whatever you use but just this is an experience unlike anything else so start off with the big explosive stuff marissa and if that doesn't get them if that doesn't have them hooked i think you know these are not your people these are not your friends leave them immediately and go find your real tribe thanks for sending that in by the way uh nicole at gto girl 1970 you close the show said how and what is rookie class going to be about this year will we get a uh, will we as the fan base get a lot of surprises i don't know how many surprises we're we're going to expect here nicole among the rookies Callum Eilat, we know that guy is crazy good, but is Hunkos Hollinger Racing going to be ready to show him to the world as an ass kicker? I mean, I know just talking with Roger Penske recently, he recognizes that kid as something special, and he's done three IndyCar races and didn't have a chance to really show a ton. Um, let's watch him, knowing that the team is going to be a limiting factor here as they get up to speed going full-time for the first time in a while. Lundgaard I already mentioned, I, I think we're just talking rookie of the year period. Um, got the team, got the speed, no real limitations other than having to learn a lot of tracks, but yeah, uh, he's going to be phenomenal. I think to watch David Malukas, wackily talented boy. Is that kid good? The Dale coin team, oh, they've been gutted in terms of engineering staff and talent there, Nicole. So I know that if David were in a different team that already had a you know fully established staff around him, everything, everything that he needed, uh, I think he would be a serious contender to Lingard for Rookie of the Year. Devlin DeFrancesco, lots to learn. Uh, mentioned more than once, wish he could have stayed in Indy Lights for a second season, but I think he's going to have an okay year. I think he's going to be doing more learning than demonstrating big talent. Uh, Kyle Kirkwood, again, in any uh, other situation, kids rookie of the year, hands down, period, <laughs> done. Um, let's look for how much he can do with all the uh, the obstacles he's going to have to overcome, though. And same with Tatiana as well, which already went into that. So I don't really feel the need to dive more into Tati's situation, but what are we staring at here five uh six rookies it's crazy that's awesome if we're talking those that i believe 
can have some permanence in the series, uh, even though some of them might need their teams to develop a little bit more than they will be at when they start the season. Lungard for sure. Ilot for sure. Malukas for sure. DeFrancesco, Kirkwood. And again, provided she has a second and third year to really burrow in and, and um, get herself to the, the maximum expression of her talent. I think Tatiana's well. So potentially we could have six ongoing drivers Rookies who uh, remain and add to a great young driver base. So, y'all, we didn't get to all your questions, but we sure got to a lot. So I want to thank you for sending those in once again. Our guest this week, Connor Daly. He'll be joining us here shortly. Still trying to connect with Robert Wickens. I know that he's not racing an IndyCar this year, but he will be continuing in his driver coaching and advisory role with Air McLaren SP along with his return to racing uh, which will be coming in IMSA with Brian Herta Autosport in their their equivalent of Indy Lights, the Michelin Pilot Challenge Series. And who else? I think I got Matty Brabham on my call list for a uh, Catching Up With episode. So I'm going to try and keep hitting you with more of these Catching Up Withs, let you have 10 or 15 minutes with some folks. Cassie Johnston, who I mentioned earlier, asked her to help me with a question or two for my call, Tatiana. She uh, helped us close with one that uh, was great, and uh, Tati was all about answering. So big appreciation to y'all for making this show what it is each week. I say that every week, but I mean it every week. I do enjoy doing this a lot. Uh, Also, Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers and TorontoMotorsports.com, thank you so much for supporting us. We'll speak to you here in a couple days. 